third down and goal. Everybody up on the front line for Kansas City. And Marino's going to go to the air, backpedaling and looking and throwing for that touchdown to Ronnie Williams. And Vaughn Booker is all over Dan Marino. And Dan Marino makes him miss. He is in Marino's face. And Frank, that's a nifty little move by Dan Marino to get away from him. Twice on this drive. And welcome to the Sportscasters. It is Tuesday, April 19th, and it is a little bit subdued around here in Buffalo, New York, as last night the Sabres dropped game three of the first round of the Eastern Conference playoffs, and it has affected Don so much that, unfortunately, his scurvy has crept back into his life. Uh, devastatingly, Don will not join us for three things. Instead, we're going to have a listener and uh, we'll bring him in in a second. But one thing that we're going to try to do in the near future is incorporate some of our listeners into the three, th the three things segment and uh, have the listeners join us and give their three things. I think it'd be pretty fun to get some different perspectives from some of our listeners out there. But we have a packed show. Of course, we're going to start off with three things, and we're going to bring in a listener. We'll do that in a second. Also, we have Sam Carcitti from the Philadelphia Inquirer. And I had a bright idea. I think it was right after the Sabres won game one that it'd be really cool to talk to someone from Philadelphia about the series. Now that it's two to one, that idea kind of sucks. I really don't want to do it, but we're going to do it anyway. We're going to talk to Sam Carcitti, see how the Flyers beat reporter from the Philadelphia Inquirer thinks the series is going, see if he thinks that the Sabres have any chance to come back. We'll judge kind of the cockiness of Philadelphia right now. Also, we have a really great interview with Lee Jenkins, the senior writer from Sports Illustrated, sportsillustrated.com. One thing we haven't done enough of this spring is really get into the NBA playoffs, but in this show we got 40 really good, solid minutes just really breaking down each series and really giving the NBA playoffs the respect that it deserves, going through the different matchups, kind of talking about some of the crazy upsets of the first couple of weeks. Another thing that's going to be unique tonight is in about 50 minutes from record time, the NFL schedule is going to come out. And uh, Don is going to shake the scurvy off enough to kind of talk about the NFL schedule a little bit, get a first reaction, see how the Saints are opening up, his Bills are opening up, see what the national games are, just take a quick look in the NFL schedule. And also a third interview today, Rob Pizzo. He is the guest host of Puck Daddy Radio on Sirius XM. And we've had just about every other Puck Daddy guy around on, and he's going to join us to talk a little bit about the NHL playoffs outside of the Sabres and the Flyers. So we have a lot to do. A couple plugs to start off. I got to thank Jesse Pagula. For those of you who don't know who she is, Jesse Pagula is one of the daughters of Sabres owner Terry Pagula. And you can find her on Twitter. She is at Jay Pagula, and she is a great tweeter. And she gave away two – she ran a contest, and the, the question was – what would you do for playoff tickets? And a good friend of mine, Joe Scarcella, who's a really good kid, he has his own foundation, works hard in the community, said that he would bring a kid that he mentors to the game. And Jesse picked him, gave him the tickets. And also, during the game, Mrs. Pagula, so the owner of the Sabres' wife, 
came down to the stands and gave Joe's child that he mentors a brand new Jason Pominville jersey. So that just shows you how down to earth and great the Pagula family is. And I had to give them a shout out for Joe and thank them on the show for their generosity and their kindness. I'm sure they made that kid's life with that Jason Pominville jersey. Another shout out I want to give is to a new listener named Kevin McGuire. I don't know if you know the story, but last week, the On the DL podcast, obviously we had Dan Levy from that podcast on our part one of our National League preview, and part two of that National League preview should be up tomorrow. Dan Levy came on the show, and the next day he did his last show for On the DL, and he actually gave the sportscasters a really cool shout out. I was really excited about it. And one of the guys who decided to give us a listener was a really cool guy named Kevin McGuire. And Kevin kind of kept us on his toes. And his first tweet about the sportscasters was something like, I'm checking out this show that Levy uh, introduced and they're five minutes in and they've already mispronounced two names. And I got a chuckle out of that because I am brutal at mispronouncing names. So I got to thank Kevin for keeping me on on my toes. And it turns out he's an award-winning college football writer, and he has a really cool blog that you can follow. It is K-R-M-C-G-U-I-R-E dot me, K-R-M-G-U-I-R-E dot me, and uh, he covers college football and video games, and it's really cool. So I want to thank Kevin for joining us. Hopefully, I can tighten up on those names and not mispronounce as many. So now, as to the business at hand, I want to bring in a listener He's another guy who's kind of kept us on our toes here at the Sportscasters, and he kind of scolded Don and I a couple weeks ago for comparing the Pacers to the Seahawks, and uh, I really enjoyed it, and he actually won the contest that we ran last week for the Book of the Month, the book club, uh, which of course is from Bags to Riches by Jeff Duncan, and Jeff's going to be with us on April 5th, so don't think, forget about that, but his name is Jimmy Browley, and Jimmy, how you doing, buddy? Good. How you doing, Steve? Doing really good. Uh, Jimmy was nice enough to join us for this little experiment. Well, we kind of started the experiment last week when we had Greg on, and uh, Greg presented his own three things, and I thought it'd be cool to get more listeners involved and hear what their three things might be each week. And Jimmy was nice enough to volunteer to go first, and uh, that Dan Marino highlight that we played at the top of the show is for him. So, Jimmy, you say you're a big Dolphins fan. You say you're a big yes, Islanders fan. And did you say Marlins? Mavericks. Mavericks, that's right. So. Yeah. So the Mavericks looking good. Got game one under their belts mm-hmm. the other night. So how do you feel about the Mavericks and their run here in the NBA, NBA playoffs? I'm feeling pretty good. At first, you know, everyone was picking against them, saying the Trailblazers were supposed to be the big upset yeah. in the Western Conference. Everyone loved that. They look first round, so let's see where it goes from here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's kind of a strange mix of teams. How did you become a Dolphins, Mavericks, and yeah. Islanders fan? Well, I'm from Long Island, so I've always been an Islander fan, and I don't really know, like, it's one of those things, you know, I just grew up, and I was always had been a Dolphins fan, I just always had, like, had the Dan Marino jerseys, the Zach Thomas jerseys, and, and then the Mavericks, I don't even know where that happened either, it was just, I've always liked Steve Nash and Dirk, so watching them play together was a lot of fun, and after Steve left, I just kind of stuck with the Mavs, so... Awesome. Well, that sounds really cool. It's good to have Jimmy on. You also said that you're a, you're a pretty big big reader, right? So what do you like to read? Well, I like reading a lot of sports books, you know, and like nonfiction stuff in general. Who are some of your favorite authors? Because I, I am with you. I love nonfiction stuff. I think 
Michael Lewis is fantastic. Who do you like to read? Uh, my two favorite authors are probably uh, Malcolm Gladwell and like, uh, Chuck Klosterman. Oh, yeah, Chuck is great. So you must be really excited yeah. about the new uh, Bill Simmons project that he's going to be involved yeah, in. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so that should be really cool. All right, well, it's good to get to know Jimmy a little bit. And he stopped by for a very specific reason, and that reason is three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever! <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep! Now let's move on to other business. Alright, three things for April 19th. I will kick it off. My first thing. Bravo, ESPN. Way to say, take a stand and dump poker. I don't know if you know the story, but... Poker, the poker world is in trouble. And last week, uh, the federal government started targeting some of the larger online poker sites and charged them with bank fraud, money laundering, illegal gambling offenses. And many of these sites, like Full Tilt, Full Tilt Poker and Poker Stars, have done a lot of advertising on ESPN. So they were kind of in a little bit of a pickle. So this morning, ESPN announced that they were aware of the indictment only through what has been announced publicly, and for the immediate future, they are making efforts to remove related advertising and programming pending further review. So that's a statement from ESPN. So, awesome. Okay, ESPN saw a problem. They didn't want to associate. Well, later in the day, ESPN announced that it will still air the 2011 World Series of Poker. Now, here's kind of the funny thing about that. What do you watch on ESPN that has anything to do with poker besides the World Series of Poker? I mean, come on. It, it, it's, it's, almost like, uh, it's almost like the NFL. Uh, it's almost like ESPN saying, you know what? We're done with the NFL, but we're still going to air Monday Night Football. I, I mean, it doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know. What do you think, Jimmy? Yeah, I actually know quite a lot about this story, too, because my roommate's actually a big online poker player, so he was freaking out when it was going down. And the story behind it's pretty crazy, but... Yeah, I don't understand how you can continue to show it after like taking such a stand against it. Yeah, I mean it's funny. It's like it's we caught ESPN kind of talking out of both sides of their mouth here because on one side they say, "Oh, poker bad. We're going to take a stand," and I'm sure your buddy is probably thinks it's the stupidest thing in the world that they're going after these online poker sites. And what I've always yeah, wondered yeah. is why don't they just regulate it and tax it? We have well, all they, this yeah, huge deficit, the big right? Thing Sorry, they yeah, plan on uh, legalizing it, but it'll take like a few years. So right now they're just banning it. Yeah, still process down. Yeah, so I mean, I think that's probably better for the poker players out there. That I mean, it's probably in their best interest for not to have to deal with these offshore sites. And I mean, I would feel a lot more comfortable going on the internet and playing at like Luxor dot com or something, knowing that the government is regulating it. It'll feel a lot safer. So if that does come out of it, it's cool. But I, you know, I thought it's kind of thought it was silly that ESPN said they're going to ban poker. Oh, except for the World Series of Poker. All right, Jimmy, you're up. Okay, for my first thing, as I mentioned before, I'm a big Mavericks fan, and from the recent years, people can see that the Mavericks have pretty much choked in the playoffs. But the one thing that people don't understand is Dirk Nowitzki gets a lot of blame for this, when in actuality he is not a choker at all. Uh, Mavis B, one of the Mavs B writers wrote a recent thing for ESPN, basically like disputing this whole art, this myth against Dirk that he chokes in the playoffs, saying he's one of the greatest like player performers like we've ever seen. He's 
one of five people, I think, to average 25 and 10 in the playoffs. Yet because he's like this soft-spoken European player, he gets all the blame for their losses. When in actuality, he just never had a good player to go along with him. At, even in the fourth quarter in the first game, uh, what you saw with the Mavericks won, he went off in the fourth quarter. He pr- pretty much carried them when they don't really have anyone else. So and you know what? You know what's interesting about that? You bring it up. It's funny how perception goes because really the Mavericks were one pretty pitiful foul call on Dwayne Wade away from probably winning an NBA championship. And if that call yeah. goes the other way and they win that championship, no one ever says anything like Dirk Nowitzki's a choker, right? But because he doesn't have a ring, people just like to casually say it, even though it's not true. And this happens a lot in sports. And it's one of the things that Don and I were trying to get across when we were saying that people on, in the national media think the Sabres are just about Ryan Miller. Well, anyone who watched Game 3 of the Flyers and Sabres and seen how terrible Ryan Miller was will know that he's very inconsistent, and that's something that the Sabres have been fighting all year. But nobody knows that because he had such a great Olympics, right? And nobody realizes that Dirk Nowitzki is as great in the playoffs well because he hasn't had a ring, but nobody really looks into it. And that's one frustrating thing about all these people who are out there talking, and maybe I'm one of them, and maybe Don's one of them, and maybe Jimmy is now too. We throw out all these opinions, but have we researched them correctly? Are we really right? Or is there going to be someone out there to correct us? And I think that's why the blogosphere has been so built up so high in sports is because no matter where you turn, there's somebody on TV giving out an opinion that to me is kind of junk. I don't know. What do you think, Billy? Jimmy? Yeah, yeah, I definitely have to agree. Like, people just throw out, like, people just throw out these random things because they see something, but they don't actually do the research behind it. And most of the time, there's nothing behind them. Like, yep. like you said, with the Ryan Miller thing, like, oh, Ryan Miller is a great goalie. He must be the reason the Sabres are doing good, but he's not the reason why he's like, the Sabres are doing as well as they're doing right now. Exactly. All right, my second thing. There's a newspaper fight going on in Philadelphia. Apparently, John Gonz- it's, it's the, the combatants are John Gonzalez and David Murphy. And uh, these two characters are going at, a, are going at each other uh, pretty, pretty hard. John Gonzalez uh, is a resident funny man for the Philadelphia Inquirer. And David Murphy is the Phillies beat writer for the Daily News. And apparently, these two kind of got in a war on Twitter. And it was started by John Gonzalez. You can find him on Twitter at Gonzo Philly. And he said something like this. He said, that's part of the problem. Many media types I know hold the fans in contempt. It's sad when, say, a cheese-heavy local baseball blogger thinks he knows it all but fails to see himself for what he is a glorified stenographer with a bloated ego and a sweet gig. It's the misguided elitism that rankles reporters, rankled reporters don't consume sports the way fans do, and few of them have made much of an effort to understand your perspective. Okay, And that cheese-heavy local baseball blogger was a direct quote at David because his Twitter name is at High Cheese. <laughs> Get it? So High Cheese came back and said, if this dude's radio show was half as bad as his column, I can understand why he's such a foul, a failure. And I guess that's in response to Gonzalez having a radio show canceled. And now this is where it really gets interesting. So Gonzo says, it's true, I failed on radio. You got me there, High Cheese. 
But there are different types of failure at hot cheese. There was that time you mouthed off and someone popped you and gave you a black eye. There's failure of your career at high cheese. The fact that despite being a beat writer, you've never bro, and that's continued to. And then there's that time you failed to get a local female sportscaster to go home with you. You remember she kicked you out of the cab and left you standing with your shriveled dick in hand. But hey, I don't want to make it on the radio, so score that one for you. And then eventually High Cheese took the high road and said, I said everything I need to say. We have different views of the profession. I don't respect his end of story. You can find all that on www.thefightins.com, ins.com, thefightins.com. What do you think? <laughs> Well, it's always fu- funny and entertaining when these stories, you know, with these big egos, when you get as filthy and dirty as that, but, I don't know, it makes you really question the integrity of these guys if they're willing to say stuff like that in the media. Yeah, the fight ends is kind of like the fighting Phillies. So this is like a Phillies blog. So oh. it's, yeah, so the fight ends, kind of a clever name there. And they have uh, they have a... Uh, kind of a few different quotes and stuff like that to check it out. But, yeah, these guys are going at it pretty good, and it's always funny to see. And uh, Dan from on the DL mentioned, what a terrible week for me to quit. There's a, a, f- a fight amongst members in the Philadelphia media. Uh, poker is exploding, ex- imploding, and um, a couple other things he mentioned. All right, you're up. Okay, for my second thing, I wanted to mention uh, a recent uh, episode of a TV series on PBC called PBS, sorry, called Frontline, and the episode was entitled Football High, and it was basically about, like, high school football and, like, the extent to which it has grown, but it focused really on the injuries that they face today and how they've been increasing, and is it really worth it for these kids to put themselves to, through such strenuous injuries and, and the like, when in actuality they're not, like, really getting anything out of it? Like, it, it just found the... the culture of the high school football very interesting from anyone who's read books like you know friday night lights and everything you see what these kids are willing to go through and these coach these coaches almost abuse them with like taking them taking their like whatever they're willing to put into it for granted because these kids are like willing to put it all on the line you see these kids who get concussions and then just go back in the game when then they're suffering the long the life term the lifelong injuries like the cte and all the other head injuries that have come up recently and it was just pretty crazy to see. And we've seen it uh, like recently this season in the NFL, but we forget that it goes all the way down to the high school and leagues like that. And it, it just looks like the NFL and football in general is going to have to change something to stop all these injuries. Yeah, it's interesting because I think what these coaches know is that every kid dreams of playing in the NFL, right? And I think the coaches manipulate that dream and kind of run these kids to the point where they are facing long-term health issues. I mean, nothing breaks my heart more than when I find out about a a high school basketball player who collapsed and died or a high school football player who suffered paralysis. And, you know, it's a really, really sad part of the game. And, you know, I think what part of it is is just the way the physics of the games have evolved. You know, the physics are such that even at the high school level, the players are getting so big and so fast that the collisions are getting so hard and so violent. And injuries are just going to be more and more a part of the game. And as you say, is it worth it, right? I mean, did you play yeah, any exactly. high school sports? Exactly. 
did you play high school sports yourself? Yes, I did. I actually suffered a few concussions myself playing hockey, and I can tell you from first-hand experience, it's not very good. Yeah, I, I played high school hockey as well, played a little bit of junior hockey, and my brother Anthony, who's been on the show before, obviously has been through it all, and he just finished uh, his second 60-game uh, season in the USHL, and I know it's a grind on his body, and I mean, he's one of the lucky ones. He's going to get a full ride to Yale, going to go there, and whether hockey works out or not, he's going to have a no loans, come out with a Yale degree, and I'm sure it's going to work out great for him no matter what, but he's only one of, I can think of probably 200 different kids that he used to play with that have suffered injuries. I've seen kids break wrists. Anthony broke his collarbone. Uh, I, I've seen a kid break his leg playing uh, youth hockey. And sports are great, and they get a lot out of them, but it's, it's no fun getting injured. And you kind of got to wonder uh, where the line is and, and when adults are pushing kids just too much and taking advantage of their dream to make it, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right, my third thing. Congratulations to the NHL. They have finally got someone to pay for their games. Uh, I know the last few years since the lockout, uh, they made a really bold decision, and when ESPN decided that they weren't going to be a part, uh, the NHL went to NBC or and NBC and Versus. At the time, it was the OLN network, and uh, Versus and NBC today signed for a ten-year deal with the NHL that's worth a total of two billion dollars, uh, and they are going to be the exclusive network of the NHL. NBC. Uh, for the first time next year, is going to broadcast all of the Stanley Cup Finals games, which is pretty sweet for the NHL. Uh, also, Versus is changing their name within the next 90 days to NBC something. Uh, they haven't said what yet, but it is going to be an NBC network uh, so that it's maybe a little bit more recognizable. Um, so, yeah, the deal easily exceeds the $120 million contract that the NHL had with ESPN from 1999 to 2004. But I guess the, the question is, sure, this is a great deal for the NHL, but now that ESPN is out of the party, are they going to bury the NHL even more than they already do? And can the NHL afford to not be a part of ESPN? Is ESPN such a big force in the sports media? You know, can they handle not having a foot in that door. You're an NHL fan. Are you happy with the deal, or do you wish they would have done something with ESPN? At, at first, I was kind of unhappy with the deal because I was really hoping that they would go with ESPN because as much as people hate on ESPN, like, whenever they get something, look how much they push it. Like, even look recently with what they've done with soccer. Like, they started they started their uh, coverage of soccer, and they've all the time have turned on ESPN now. I see soccer games on. It's just like I know how much ESPN could do for coverage of the NHL. But then once I read more into the story, I read how Versus is doing this whole new, like, changing of their image and stuff. So hopefully they'll put even more coverage into the NHL. Yeah, you know, it's a great point. When ESPN has money behind something, they push it. They push it to the top of SportsCenter. They push it to the top of PTI. Uh, They cover games. They invest money. When they don't have that money... It just doesn't seem like the effort's there. And, you know, for a couple days last week when they were showing the college hockey, college hockey was suddenly around on ESPN.com and a little bit on the stations. And that's because they had a vested interest and it even outshadowed the NHL for a couple days there. And I wonder if the NHL is doing the right thing. I know it's a really tough, it's a really tough decision for Commissioner Batman because on the other hand, 
versus or soon to be NBC whatever treats the NHL like ESPN treats baseball or football. It treats it as the big sport and the big deal with pregame shows and postgame shows and probably a lot more than ESPN would invest in hockey anyway. So I know it's a really, really tough decision, but I'm glad that the NHL is finally getting money for their product. It's definitely deserved. And a $2 billion rights fees for the NHL, that's awesome. And that makes me just say, wow, NFL, NBA, get your labor stuff done because there's money in TV right now that people are going to be willing to spend to get these sports on TV as people go away a little bit from going to the games because they have the huge screens at home uh, in HD and you know comfort control of their living room. And the way the economy is, people aren't spending as much money to go out, but instead they're staying in. And I think that TV, sports on TV is going to really, really, really grow even more than it already has in the, in the next couple of years. You're up. Number three. Okay, sure. For my third thing, I wanted to talk about uh, the three Call of the Trophy finalists nom- that were named today. And I was really happy as an Islander fan to see that Michael Grabner was one of the nominees one of the finalists, and the other two are, of course, uh, Logan Couture and Jeff Skinner. And while Grabner probably won't win, and a lot of people will argue that he didn't deserve it because, for whatever reason, like, the Islanders weren't as good as other teams. As It was just a pleasure to watch Grabner play the season, you know. He yeah, he's a so stud, bad. huh? Yeah, absolutely. We haven't seen anyone like that in Long Island in a long time. Um, it was just great to watch him play and see what someone with that much speed could really do to open up the ice for the other players. And while, obviously, I, I think Jeff Skinner is going to win in the end, but it was just nice to see him as one of the finalists. I have a question for you as an Islanders fan. Are you more excited about Grabner going forward, or are you more excited about Tavares going forward? Going forward, um, I don't, it's tough to say because Grabner really was a surprise for everyone. That was the other greatest part of him was just the story behind me you now being traded from the Canucks, being dropped from the Panthers, whereas Tavares, on the other hand, was the first overall pick. But it's Tavares definitely made a lot of strides this year, and I think he he led the Islanders in points. But watching, especially since they don't play in the two line, it's just watching them two develop is going to really help the Islanders going forward. Yeah, and it's pretty cool. Grabner is actually, he's from Austria, just like uh, Buffalo Sabres, Thomas Vanek. But unlike Vanek, who went the USHL and NCAA route, uh, Grabner actually played in the Western Hockey League for the Spokane Chiefs. He was the first-round pick, 14th overall in the 2006 NHL entry draft. Uh, And I guess Vancouver gave up on him a little too quick, and the Islanders scooped him up. 34 goals and 18 assists as a rookie. That's an incredible season. I got to see him play. He was a plus 13, too, which isn't necessarily easy to do on a non-playoff team. And uh, I got to watch him a few times. Actually, one Sabres and Islanders game, I know Tavares had a hat trick, and I thought, wow, this, this guy's awesome. And Grabner's really good, and Akposo is there, and it seems like slowly the Islanders are building something on Long Island, and I don't think that the playoffs are that far away from them. What do you think? Yeah, the one thing that we might have to uh, hope develops better is the goaltending situation. Yeah, what a disaster DPHO has been, huh? Yeah, and as great as um, how Montoya was for them once they got him near, once everyone else got hurt. It's just hard to say because it doesn't look like, as long as DPH was healthy, the Islanders management is going to try to play him, even though he hasn't been playing well at all. So hopefully he can remain healthy and go back to the player he was before all the injuries and before the 15-year deal. But 
it's tough to say. Yeah, you know, I think we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago on the show. It was a great year for NHL rookies, huh? I actually, last week on my three things, I picked uh, John Carlson to be my rookie of the year. I figured he wouldn't win it. I thought he might get nominated, but he had a great season. Uh, the Rangers had a really good rookie whose name is uh, escaping me right now. Uh, help me out. He had a hat trick in the first game last Seppin, Der- Derek, uh, yeah. Derek Seppin, right? Okay, I'm probably yeah. butchering that name, but close enough. So he had a great season. Like you said, Skinner's probably going to win it. And there's just a lot of good young players in the NHL. And ever since the lockout, it just seems like every year there's just really good young talent in the league. And I think that really bodes well for this new TV contract going forward because there's so many good young players in the league. The league's getting younger and younger and younger. And uh, I think that it's just it's going to be really great going forward. And I'm really excited for the rest of this playoffs and the NHL in general going forward. How grim is the situation in Long Island as far as the arena goes? I know the Lighthouse Project seems to be scratched. Is there any chance they resolve that up there? or? Um, the one good thing about the situation is Charles Wong really seems to want to keep the Islanders on Long Island, but the, like, the town doesn't seem to want to give him what he wants at all. Like They offered him the reduced lighthouse project but that's not what he wants at all so we haven't really heard anything about it since all the hoopla about it being turned down by the town but we're just the only thing that we can hold our hope on to is that Wong really wants to keep them on Long Island all right Jimmy Brawley he is the first listener to successfully be a part of three things I want to thank you very much quick question how'd you find out about the show I don't know if I ever asked you that are you a Damashek uh, guy yeah, it was actually a Damashek guy. After the his last podcast, The Day of the Thunder, was canceled, I was looking around on the boards for that, and someone had mentioned him being on this podcast, so I tried it out. And then after I listened to his podcast with you guys, I I really liked it, so I listened to the other ones you guys had, and I was like, wow. You know? So awesome. I've been to- awesome. Well, it's really, uh, it was really awesome to have you a part of it. Uh, I sent you out a copy of... From Bags to Riches yesterday. It should be on the island really soon. I hope you enjoy the book. Uh, I hope you continue to listen, and I hope you had a good time tonight. So that's three things for today. I want to thank Jimmy Brawley, our guest, and we will be right back with Sam Carcitti, that brutal, brutal, mean Philadelphia beat writer for the Philadelphia Inquirer. We'll be right back. Thanks, Jimmy. Okay, welcome back to the Sportscasters. Our next guest uh, has been around the South Jersey, Philly area for quite a long time, covering high school sports and the Phillies for three decades. This is his second year as the Flyers beat writer, and uh, his name is Sam Carcitti. How are you doing today, Sam? Good. Good to be with you today. I also wanted to mention uh, before I brought you in that you, there's actually a really unique connection that you have to Buffalo. You've written three books nationally. One is Miracle in the Making. Uh, the Adam, help me out with that name. Is it Talaferro? 
They're very good, Telefero. Yeah, the Adam Telefero story. And he also wrote Bill Campbell, the voice of Philadelphia sports. And then interesting to Buffalo fans, he actually wrote the Kevin Everett story called Standing Tall. And before we get into the Sabres and Flyers, why don't you just tell me real quick about that experience and how you got hooked up with Kevin and, and uh, you know, how cool it was to have the book shown on Oprah and things like that. Yeah, it was a great experience. Kevin's a wonderful person. As most people know, he was paralyzed in the game a few years ago and uh, miraculously uh, has made a great recovery and uh, now did a lot of motivational speaking and uh, he'll never play football again, of course, but uh, you know, he's getting along with his wife. He's uh, married a few years ago and, and uh, you know, has two uh, beautiful little, little children and uh, he's doing quite well. I, uh, I, I wrote a, a book similar to it. You mentioned Antel Alfaro, and, and uh, because of my experience of, uh, of that, uh, Adam was was also paralyzed playing football for Penn State. And uh, um, people associated with Kevin Everett, his agents, and other people were familiar with that book and because, and, and what happened to Adam and how he made a great recovery. And, and uh, so they called me and, and to see if I was interested. And, and doing a story on Kevin, and, and I was, you know, very honored. And, and uh, as I say, he, he's he's moving along, and uh, um, you know, having a, a great life, and uh, can't say enough about him. That's incredible. Well, you know, I had this bright, I had this bright idea, as people in the media often do. I said, you know, it, this was, I think, uh, a couple nights ago, right after the Sabres in one game one. I said, you know, it'd be really cool on the show Tuesday to talk to someone from the Philly side. Of this series, and when I thought had that thought, I you know I'm thinking it's going to be two to one Sabers, three to nothing Sabers. I'll kind of talk with this guy, get a get a Flyers. I'll be gloating, you know, things like that. But as things have happened, it's actually two to one Flyers, and the Flyers have really looked like the better team in this series, almost by a lot the last couple of days. And I know as a Sabers fan, a Sabers season ticket holder, I just feel like they got us. I don't know. What's your impression of the way the series has has kind of developed in the last few days? Well, I, I think it's been a great series. I mean, uh, a lot of nastiness to it, uh, a lot of physicality, and, uh, um, you know, I think the Sabres have been right there. I mean, uh, it was anybody's game yesterday, and, uh, um, you know, the Flyers capitalized. They didn't really have a lot of chances, but they capitalized when they did have the chance, a couple of defensive breakdowns and um, by the Sabres. The, the Sabres have one of the youngest defense, I think it's the youngest defense, actually, in the NHL, and, and uh, you know, they're going to make some mistakes, and, and they have, and, and yes, the Flyers capitalized on it. But uh, um, you know, I don't think the Flyers are uh, uh, thinking the series is over by any means. It's going to have a tough game tomorrow. Looks like you know the biggest game. I mean, obviously they go three-one, and the series is is almost over. But uh, you know, I think Buffalo's going to have a lot of fight in the game tomorrow. I, I wonder if coming into the series, if you expected Buffalo to be as physical as they've been, that's one thing that's kind of impressed me. I was kind of worried that the Flyers might, obviously the Broad Street Bullies, that whole reputation, I thought they might try to come in and really beat the Sabres up, but I know Laviette had a problem with the hit total last night, so we'll just throw it out, but either way, the Sabres have been really close or getting the better of the physical play. Did that surprise you coming into the series? Um, you know, I, I'd say a, a, a little bit, but I, I think the Sabres are a team, much like the Flyers, are a blue-collar team, and... and uh, so, you know, I'm not real surprised. I think, uh, um, you know, the Sabres have, have played real well, too. I mean, uh, um, 
you know, they they had a lot more shots yesterday and they had more hits and and uh, you know yesterday's game was 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 either team's game and uh, as I said, the Flyers finally got their power play on track and and uh, you know that was a big key. I think Buffalo's special teams in this series have surprised me because their their penalty kill has been really exceptional and. Uh, you know, I, I don't follow them as close. I, I know that they they finish the season real, real strong in that area on the PK, and and uh, you know a lot of times uh, the penalty kill and the power play, and, and of course, and goaltending decide playoffs, and that's why I think uh, the Sabres are still a dangerous team. Yeah, uh, another question I have for you just as an outsider because we're so close to it. You know, sometimes it's hard to to see what it's like, but since Terry Pagula has taken over. He's totally kind of changed the attitude towards the team. Were you kind of surprised with the atmosphere coming in, you know, 18,690 inside, you know, 10,000 outside, kind of hard to get to the arena? I I got there at 5 o'clock yesterday, and there was traffic. I've never seen traffic going to the Sabres game at 5 o'clock before. Um, What do you think about the kind of intensity of the fans here in Buffalo, and, and how is it in Philadelphia? Do they kind of equal the intensity or, you know, has the recent surge of the Phillies kind of hurt the Flyers fan base to an extent? Yeah, I think the, the Sabres fans have done a great job. And since Padula took over, as you mentioned, I don't think it's a coincidence that the Sabres have such a great record because, uh, you know, he, he shows that he really cares about the team, cares about the history of the team and the tradition. And, and uh, it's not a coincidence. I think they finished 16-4-4 four and four under him. And, and uh, you know, I think that, the Sabres play since then has carried over into the excitement, and that's why you see the fans really into it. And it's very similar in Philadelphia. Philadelphia, uh, especially in the playoffs, I think the Philly fans are kind of like the team this year in that they were kind of laid back a little bit and just waiting for the playoffs to start. And uh, I would say the Wells Fargo Center, during the season, you know, I go to every uh, arena around the NHL, and I'd say during the season I'd, I'd rank Philadelphia in the middle as far as noise level of the fans. But uh, once the playoffs start, I think Philadelphia is uh, probably in the top three or four. They, they really rev it up. And, and uh, But Buffalo was very loud last night, and it's going to be probably even louder on Wednesday night. Lindy Ruff is brutal about giving any information about injuries and things like that this time of year. So I'm sure it's no different from the Philadelphia side. But what do you hear about Chris Pronger, and do you think we'll see him in this series? Well, I think if the Flyers lost in Game 3, uh, there was a lot better chance that we would see him in Game 4. Um, I'd say it's almost definite he will not play in Game 4. Uh, I watched him today. He was, um, you know, he can, he can skate fine, but um, he has problems still shooting the puck because he's not really uh, really uh, teeing it up right now. And until he can, his hand is obviously still sore. He's just uh, uh, throwing some some soft wristers up in that, but he really hasn't uh, even taken a slap shot since his surgery. So until he can really tee it up, I, I don't think you're going to see him. And, uh, you know, I think game five is the, is the earliest we'll see him. But if the Flyers lose tomorrow in game four, you know, there, there's probably a better chance we'll see him in game five. Uh, if they win tomorrow, then I think they'll just uh, hold him out and uh, try to get him to heal. One but, thing... Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. No, that's okay. I was just going to say one thing that uh, I was pretty excited about from a Buffalo standpoint after game two is it seemed like we had 
rattled the Philadelphia goaltending situation, but I got to give Boucher a lot of credit. I thought the second goal was weak, but he really stood tall in the third period and he shut the door, didn't let anything by him. Is it kind of his net now to lose going forward, or do you think they'll try to uh, give Bobrovsky another chance? No, I think it's Boucher's uh, game now. Uh, you know, going forward, I think uh, um, you know the Flyers. Uh, are going to uh, pin most of their hopes on Boucher, and if uh, he falters, it'll be interesting to see if uh, Leighton gets a shot. But uh, um, Bob Roski was very shaky, as you know, in Game Two, and um, I, I just think they they like Boucher's experience, and and uh, you know people forget last year in, in Round One, he totally outplayed uh, Marty Brodeur of the Devils, and the Flyers won that in five. And, uh, you know, his numbers right now, he's got like a 1.68 goals against, and uh, save percentage is 948. And granted, it's only two games, but, you know, he's doing it again. It's just it's just amazing that, uh, um, you know, he's playing so well. But um, <laughs> something tells me that uh, before the Flyers playoff run is over, we're going to see um, either Michael Layton or Bob Rowski again. But, uh, you know, right now I think it's uh, they're going to go with Bruce. Danny Briere is someone who interests me a lot. He was a really beloved figure here in Buffalo. He kind of had this image of being a real family man, always around with his kids. I know since he shifted to Philadelphia, he's gone through a divorce. There's been some rumors and things like that, but it really hasn't affected his play in the ice, especially in the playoffs. I think you know, the first two years that the Flyers made the playoffs with him, he really contributed well and was a big part of the deep run, and he played really fantastic last night, I thought, and has been a big difference in the series. How important is Briere, especially if the Sabres do a little bit better job with – they've done a great job with Richards, and they kind of let Carter off the hook last night, but if the Sabres do choose to focus on Carter and Richards, is Briere really the key to this series, the big difference? Yeah, he he is a, a go-to guy in the playoffs, no question about it, and uh, – um, yeah, you, know, you mentioned last year he had 30 points. He led all NHL scorers in the playoffs. And, um, you know, some players are red light players. The red light goes on, and, and uh, they enjoy it. And uh, Jimmy Rollins of the Phillies is like that with the playoffs party. Um, you know, and, and, and the, the light goes on, um, it's their time. And I think Danny Breyer is a lot like that. And uh, he had a very steady season that had uh, a career year as far as goal scorer at 34 goals in a regular season. And uh, um, his line actually slumped a little bit in the last six weeks, but they started to pick it up towards the end of the season. And uh, um, you know, Billy Leno got got a big goal in, in uh, game two. And, yep. and Briere, of course, already has two goals. So, um, yeah, it's, that's what makes the Flyers so tough. You mentioned Richards and you mentioned Carter, of course, Giroux. But uh, yeah, they like... have three lines that can come at you, at you in waves and – it really makes it difficult for a team to uh, to defend you, and you know, of course, the home team gets the last line change. But uh, it really is not that big of an advantage when you're playing the Flyers because um, the Flyers really don't really have a true number one line. They have three lines that uh, could be considered number one, so it's difficult to get favorable matchups against the Flyers. And we have to say, wow, Drew's goal. In game number two, man, was that just silky smooth, huh? He he, I like to watch Drew because he's just really, really smooth and steady with the puck. And that goal he scored in game two, I thought was just beautiful. Yeah, he's you know he's the Flyers MVP this year, and uh, that was voted on by the Flyers media. And, and uh, 
he's probably been the Flyers' most consistent player. I mean, he he makes some dazzling passes and you know dazzling plays. You mentioned the one he made in Game Two, but uh, you know he's also I think sometimes it goes under the radar a little bit. He's also a physical player. He's not a big player, but you know he's not afraid to mix it up and and uh, um, you know he he is. Uh, the future of this franchise, I have no question about it. And, uh, um, you know, he came of age last year in the playoffs and, uh, you know, carried over to the regular season. And much the same way we're seeing, I think James Van Riemsdyk really blossomed so far in the first three games of this year's playoffs. And, and uh, you know, I, I think it, uh, like Giroux, he's got a big, bright future ahead of him as well. It's funny you mentioned Van Riemsdyk because I, I have a feeling that the the local media for the Sabres and the Flyers are, are kind of <laughs> getting into a little bit of a battle with the three star selections. I know it's not all that significant, but in the first game, Van Riemsdyk was the first star in a one to nothing loss, and I th- kind of thought that the Sabres media maybe tipped their hat back last night, making Jaredev, who played eight minutes, had the one tapping goal, the first star, just kind of something silly I noticed. But uh, how has Van Riemsdyk developed here in the last couple of years, still a really young kid, played the one year at New Hampshire, uh, kind of the pride of USA Hockey for a long time. How, how does he look? Yeah, he's really come of age. I think, uh, uh, you know, last year he had some up and down, ups and downs. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a long season and it takes a while to get used to the increased amount of games you play. But this year uh, he went over the 20 goal mark for the first time and and uh, was a lot more physical. He's still growing. I mean, he's only 21. He's still uh, growing into his frame. And uh, but he's been very physical, and he's been uh, really, really uh, an impact player so far in this series. He's been probably the Flyers' biggest surprise. He leads the Flyers in shots with 14 in the series, and uh, and that's just on goal. He, he, I think a one play last last night where he went from right to left, and uh, you know. Slid, uh, skated through the slot and had a great chance on Miller and just fired wide. But, uh, you know, he, he's an impact player. And, and uh, as I said, much like Giroux last year, he's coming of age in the playoffs. And uh, he makes the Flyers even deeper and stronger right now. All right, the sportscasters are here with Sam Carcitti. Uh We mentioned the author of Standing Tall, the cover and Everett story. He also, if you go to philly.com, you can find his Broad Street Bull blog posted there. Also, you can find him on Twitter, at Broad Street Bull. Last question before I let you go. Are you surprised, I know I am, how well Kimo Timonen and Brandon Coburn have been? Both of them were plus three last night. I know uh, Coburn, I think, led the game in block shots. And you mentioned the Sabres' D is young. I thought the Flyers' D might be a little bit vulnerable as well. Uh, the Sabres kind of had their way in a playoff series a few years ago with Mazaros when he was still with Ottawa. And not having Pronger, I thought the Sabres could get to the Flyers' D a little bit more than they have, but they seem to be outplaying the Sabres' D and seem to be pretty strong in the back end there. Yeah, I agree. In fact, uh, I'm writing a story about that exact same topic for tomorrow's Philadelphia Inquirer. And, uh, um, yeah, I agree. Coburn and Tiemann have been really solid. And, um, you know, sometimes I, I think when Pronger went down with his injuries, he hasn't played since, uh, I guess it was. March 8th was the last time he played. When he went down, everybody was concerned that uh, excuse me, there was going to be extra minutes for these guys, and everybody kind of thought that the other defense would wear down. But I talked to a lot of defensemen tonight, and they say, actually, in a way, it's been a blessing. That's not the wrong impression. They, they would rather have Ponder in there. But without him, yeah, the extra minutes have actually uh, gotten them into a flow, into a rhythm, and, and they all say they like playing more minutes. So 
I think it's really helped, especially Mazaris and, and Coburn and, and Matt Carl. And, uh, you know, these guys are playing 23, 24 minutes a game and, and probably an increase of about three minutes or so since Pronger went down. And, uh, because of that, they've, um, you know, they've been, uh, in the game a lot more. And they said, you know, you get, you get a little cold sometimes and rusty when you're sitting on the bench and, and they know they're going to be out there real quick and, and they like that. So in a way, it's almost helped them. But um, that said, they they still miss Pronger. There's no question. They especially miss him in the locker room, his leadership, and they miss him on the power play. Uh, obviously, they miss him on defense, but they miss his big shot in the power play. And and uh, I think he's getting close, but I don't think you'll see him until at least game five. Last thing, how about a prediction going forward? What do you like? Fires in five, fires in six. Where are you at? Uh, well, I said Flyers and six before the series started, so I'll, I'll stick with that. I uh, would not be surprised if the Sabres came out and won the next game, and, and then the Flyers um, took the lead back home. But uh, the Flyers have been a great road team all year, and, and that's why before the series started, I picked them to win in six because I thought it would be fitting that they win it on the road. They've been a better team on the road. So is the Sabres, yeah. So, yeah, so we'll, we'll see. I mean, uh, you know, I don't count the Sabres out there. This is... This is uh, a real solid team, a blue collar team, and anytime you have a goalie like Miller, uh, you know you have a shot in the playoffs. But to me, the key is they have to tighten up the defense, and um, they're running around a little bit on D yesterday. And uh, yeah, I look for them to tighten up. I think I think Game Four is going to be a really tough game for the Flyers, so we'll see how it plays out. But it's been a, a real exciting, emotional series so far. All right, Sam, thank you very much for joining us again. You can find Sam. He is the beat writer for the Philadelphia Inquirer. You can find him at philly.com. His uh, Broad Street Bowl blog is there. You can also follow him on Twitter. It's at Broad Street Bowl with one L. Thank you very much for joining us. Hopefully, hopefully we will talk to you again sometime. Thank you. All right. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. and Enjoy the rest of the series. Thank you. Same to you. All right, we are back on the Sportscasters in the Book Club update section. We're going to do something a little bit different today. But don't forget that the Book Club of the Month book is From Bags to Riches by Jeff Duncan. We gave away a copy already. We have another copy to give away when Jeff joins us on May 5th to talk about the book. So make sure you're reading. I know Don is on page 175 already. Good job, Don. Uh Instead of going over the book today or talking about the book, we're going to talk a little bit about the NFL schedule that was just released at 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. And Commissioner Goodell, with a very interesting quote, he said they plan on playing the schedule as scheduled, which is why they are releasing it as they normally release it. So I guess that is a somewhat good sign for Commissioner Goodell to say that. Uh, it makes yeah, I me guess what, what else would he say, though, really? Yeah, I guess there's not a lot else to say, but they didn't have to put out a schedule today. And, you know, putting out a 16-game schedule kind of tells me that they've given up on the 18-game schedule, and I thought that that was one of the big holdups. So maybe this is a small victory for the players to uh, have a 16-game schedule released. I mean, at least that shows that they're not trying to get an 18-game schedule for next year. Yeah, let's hope so. I don't know what else I'm going to watch in the fall. Once the baseball playoffs and everything are over, there's no football. So hopefully they got this ironed out. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely frustrating when you're doing a football podcast or a podcast, but with right. football being king. And I'm working on some stuff with uh, Canal Street Chronicles, and 
I want there to be a football season, so let's hope. One cool, very cool thing is for the third time, and I don't know how many years they've been doing it, probably around 10 now, but for the third time, the Saints will kick off the NFL season for the second time as a road team. They will be playing at the Green Bay Packers on Thursday, September 8th at 8.30 on NBC, the very first game of the season, the Saints at the Super Bowl champions. Obviously, last year, the Saints kicked off as Super Bowl champions at home against the Vikings, and in 2007, they were the home, the road team against the Colts when Jason David made a less-than-memorable debut as a Saint and humiliated himself on national TV. But we are, we are back again in kind of a tough spot. I think the home team has won that game every time they've played it, so it's going to be hard for me to predict that the Saints are going to be number one. They also have a Sunday night game against the Colts at in New Orleans on October 23rd. I think I might try to go to that. I've always wanted to go to a, a night game, and I think that would be really fun to see the Colts, be able to see Peyton Manning. And uh, so I think, yeah. I'm, I think I'm going to try to go to that one. One other thing cool about the schedule is there is games on the Saints play Monday, December 26th against the Falcons at 8.30. So I think that means... Let's look at the Bills' schedule because we'll talk about that a little bit. I think that means there's a regular slate of games planned for Christmas Day, and that's exciting to uh, me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. actually, actually, it looks like the Bills play Saturday, December 24th. So the bulk of the games are going to be played on Christmas Eve, and the Bills play one o'clock at home against the Broncos. Um, so I imagine there's going to be the Bills open on the road on September 11th against the Chiefs. Uh, in Kansas City, tough game there. Their home opener is Sunday the 18th against the Raiders. It looks like they have a 4:05 game week eight after the week seven bye, a 4:15 game on December 11th, and then the rest of their games are at one o'clock. No night games again for the Bills. Shocking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, uh, I shouldn't say it. so flippantly like that. I mean, Stevie Johnson uh, made a little bit of a name for himself. So did uh, Fitzpatrick. So maybe there's a little bit of surprise there, but not much. Opening so, uh, basement o- team. Opening weekend seems pretty cool. We talked about the Saints and Packers. The Sunday night game, Sunday, September 11th, is the Cowboys at the Jets. Uh, I guess that's America's team versus a team in New York on the uh, 10-year anniversary of 9-11. Uh, Monday uh, yeah. night, the Monday night has a doubleheader again to start the season. They have the Patriots at the Dolphins at 7 o'clock and then the Raiders at the Broncos at 10.15. I don't know how excited I am about that Raiders-Broncos game. <laughs> uh, there is one game on Christmas. It's a Sunday night game on NBC. It's the Bears at the Packers. And then the day after Christmas, there's one game, like we said, the Falcons and Saints. The other interesting thing usually is the Thanksgiving games. And the right. three Thanksgiving games this year are dun, 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 dun. When would Thanksgiving be? It's in uh, November usually, right? Yes. The only game they have listed, right? Well, I'll figure it out. But they do have, it's Thursday, November 24th is Thanksgiving. The NFL Network game is 49ers at Ravens. Eh, that could be okay. Let's yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Let's see who the Cowboys play. The Cowboys play on the 24th at home 
against the Dolphins. I know the Bills were the second last team that, that was possible. It was down to the Bills and Dolphins that people had figured out as possible opponents for the Cowboys. I knew it would be the Dolphins. <laughs> so that's the 4:15 game. And then the 1 o'clock game on Thanksgiving is Packers and Lions. Man, it seems like they play that game a lot on Thanksgiving. Yeah, that's the, that was the, uh, what was it, 7-6 game this year or something real low scoring? It just seems, I guess, when you, if you've got to have the Lions, I mean, who, who else do right. you put on in that, in that spot? The Lions, I'm just looking over their schedule. It's not great. Anything well, else? The NFL Network, they don't have any tradition as far as Thanksgiving goes, right? As far as the teams in there, it's always just no, it's, Yeah, it's just different teams all the time. So I think this is the fourth game, and none of them have been, I don't think, particularly great matchups. The very first no. one might have been the Colts and the Broncos. That might have been the best matchup. Anything else you can think of schedule-wise? Uh, we talked a little bit about the primetime games. Yeah, um, I mean, that's really all it comes down to now is, like, the games, uh, the first Thursday game has become an event kind of every year. And then, like you said, you look for the Thanksgiving games and the, uh, and the primetime games. But basically you know who teams are going to play every year because the schedule is so predetermined. What is it, 14 of your games, you yeah. know what they're going to be, and the other two are based on where you finished. Right. So you can pretty much figure it out. I mean, those two games are kind of the wild card, but barely. And because of how often the Colts and Patriots have finished first, they play again. They play Sunday, December 4th on NBC, Colts at Patriots. <laughs> right. So that should be a good – that's always fun to watch, Colts and Patriots. Uh, if Peyton Hillis ends up on the cover of Madden, I, oh. would, I would giggle. But he is in the finals, and he would start the Madden Jinx at home against the Bengals <laughs> at 1 o'clock on Sunday, September 11th. So that would be... It's unbelievable that uh, he's going to make that cover. And he's, he beat out Aaron Rodgers, too, in the last round, right? Yep, and if he doesn't win, it will be Michael Vick, and he will start the... the uh, First two-time cover boy? Yeah, first two-time cover boy, and his first game is uh, Eagles at Rams. That's kind of a good first game with uh, Bradford versus Vic. Kind of an interesting sub, yeah. sub, sub matchup there. Let's look at the first week games because those are usually pretty interesting. Saints at Packers, Lions at Bucks, eh. Falcons at Bears. That's a pretty decent game. Two playoff teams from yeah. last year's. Bills at Chiefs. Uh, Colts and Texans, division game there. Eagles at Rams, I said I kind of like that game. Steelers and Ravens is a very good 1 o'clock game for oh, yeah, yeah. CBS. Uh, Bengals and Browns, eh, Titans and Jags. Trumbath will be happy. Uh, yeah. Then we start the 4 o'clock. It's Seahawks at 49ers, Panthers at Cardinals, Vikings at Chargers, kind of a nice game there. Giants and Redskins, 4-15. They seem to meet on opening day a lot. And then the three night games, Cowboys at Jets, Patriots at Dolphins, Raiders at Broncos. That's the NFL schedule. Let's hope they play it. Huh? it is, yeah. It's fun to talk about it right now on paper, but it will be a lot more fun to watch it play out on the field. So let's make sure they play it. The sportscasters will be right back with a awesome interview with the great Lee Jenkins. We'll be right back. All right, our next guest is making his second appearance on the Sportscasters and is a graduate of Vanderbilt University. He has been a senior writer at Sports Illustrated since September of 2007 
and has won a number of awards in the field of journalism, including first place in the New York Press Association sports category. He is none other than Lee Jenkins. How are you doing today, Lee? Great. How are you guys doing? Oh, we're doing very good. We're very excited to have you back on the show. Uh, I thought it was awesome last time, and last time I think we were it was right around when the Carmelo Anthony trade went down. I think it might have been yeah, that's right. the day after, and uh, we kind of talked a little bit about how we thought the team's would go from that point, and I'm just wondering now that we're into playoffs, how you think the trade has worked for both teams? I know you wrote about it a lot in the magazine. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, the biggest shocker is probably just how it's gone in Denver. I went out there right after that trade was made, and I mean, there was a real sense of optimism. They were they were galvanized by it. I think, um, I think George Carl really sold those guys on an opportunity to show um, you know, that they weren't all Carmelo Anthony, that they weren't going to be like Toronto or Cleveland. Um, and that really that for a lot of those players, I think have been overshadowed and in some ways marginalized by Anthony, you know, a chance to show what they could do. And, and, you know, and I don't think the players really cared about this as much as the coaches, but it was an opportunity to show that a team in the NBA can win without superstars. And that's something that is going to be, I think, a big theme moving forward. If we see these superstars kind of, go together and go to certain teams, what's going to be left is a bunch of very good teams, you know, teams without superstars but with very good players who maybe go 10 deep like the Nuggets do. Um, you know, and they're going to have to show that they can win because over the past four decades, every champion has either had a Hall of Famer or surefire Hall of Famer except the Detroit Pistons, the recent 04 Detroit right. Pistons team. So that, that's the one exception, and I think that the, that's really kind of the blueprint the Nuggets are trying to follow. And you know, even if they get eliminated in the first round of this playoffs, it's still, been a, it's still been a fantastic run. And on the Knicks side, I think they got what they wanted to get out of it, too. You know, they've got, they've got, another, super, they've got another star, and really they, they just need one more piece, probably, to be a, uh, a true contender in the East. You mentioned superstars, and one thing that's been interesting to me the last couple of days is most of the superstars in college basketball are deciding to stay in school. Yeah. Do you think that's because of the fear of a lockout, or do you think that that's a new trend that players are going to stay and develop a little bit before they jump into the NBA? Uh, that's a good question. I think it is. I think it has a lot to do with the lockout. I think mm-hmm. there's a big fear that the season could be lost, or if nothing else, that half the season could be lost. Um, and I do think that with some of these guys, I mean, every situation is, is different, but you look at North Carolina and, you know, I think there are some coaches who are, are probably better than others at keeping their guys around and who can kind of foster that sense of community that guys want to be a part of. And you know, North Carolina right now stands out as an example. I'm amazed that they were able to keep Harrison Barnes yeah. there. Um, you know, there are, just, there are some places that I think just feel too special to leave. You have others where you see these max exit, mass exoduses. Um, so I think that it, it, it's program to program and it's kid to kid, but I do think the lockout plays a very large role in it. One last thing before we get into the fun, and that's the playoffs, because I'm sure we're going to have a lot of time to talk about the lockout, but what do you think is going to be the main issue that's going to make this lockout last as long as some people are forecasting it to last? Well, there are just fundamental issues with the NBA that maybe aren't there with the NFL, and it has to do with just how, money, how much money is being made by the owners. You know, there seems to be a lot of uh, a wide disparity 
in that as far as what the players interpret and what the owners interpret. Like there, there's something fundamentally wrong with the NBA structure. It's not as popular a sport as the NFL is, for instance. And yet when you look at the salaries, you know, you think it's even more so. So, you know, I, I think that the players are going to take a hit in this, and I feel like they, they know that they will. It's just a question of how significant of a hit that, that's going to be. Um, and then the other factor, and I'm, not, I'm by no means a, an expert on this issue um, at all, but, you know, the other factor is just that NBA players, that union isn't necessarily as strong, I don't think, as baseball. I think that you, you know, that's why I don't believe that the lockout's going to go on for quite as long as some people do. I think that, I think that they will at some point cave, and part of that has to do with the lifestyles that these players have, the amount of people that they have on their, on their payrolls, really. I mean, they have, you know, like I said, chefs and masseuses and people from home and tons of family members, and even though that exists to some degree in other sports, uh, it's unique in the NBA. Yeah, it, it, it seems like we're going to have a lot of time to talk about that. I just wanted to kind of get a, a brief, you know, overview just to see what we're looking at, but... You know, one thing that stands out to me, let's, let's shift gears and let's talk about the playoffs because it's a lot more fun than the business of yeah. lockouts. One thing that surprised me, with, it doesn't seem like there's usually very many upsets in the first round of the NBA, and it seemed like the first week of the playoffs or first half week of the playoffs has been dominated by upsets. The, sec- the San Antonio Spurs went 36-5 and at home in the regular season and dropped game one of the series to Memphis. What, why, and also, the Lakers lost game one to New Orleans. And it was just upset after upset. Why do you think we have that early? Is it just that the, uh, the big teams are not quite ready yet? Or they've been just kind of coasting into the playoffs and it was a wake-up call? Or, or what do you think? why do you think we had so many upsets early? I think that's part of it. But I just think it's also the NBA is a weird sport because there is this huge difference in the way teams play and the way guys approach the playoffs as opposed to the regular season. And even though you'd, you'd think that that might affect the favorites more, that they would sort of flip that switch, I think it can go for, for some of those lower-level teams as well. I mean, take a guy like Chris Paul, for instance. You know, he's had a pretty pedestrian season, 15 points a game. I mean, really, you could make an argument it's been the worst season of his career, the low, lowest point total of his career. Then he comes out in game one against the Lakers and looks Ooh, like up. it's 2008 again. He puts yep. up 33 points, 14 assists. He did everything. You know, so I think you have guys like that who are capable, and I'm not saying that no one's capable of winning that series, but who are capable of having these just transcendent games. I mean, there is so much talent throughout the league. Even a team like Memphis, you mentioned Memphis before. Not many teams are as big on the front line as Memphis is. With Marcus Gasol and Zach Randolph, they have that power forward center combination, especially offensively, that not a lot of teams can match up with, and particularly the Spurs, who don't have that much size on their front line. So really, I think it's, it, more than anything, I just think it's a testament to the depth of talent that's in the NBA, uh, where there is more of a sense that anything can happen uh, because some of these lower-level teams they, that you know, maybe didn't play as well during the, during the regular season, they might have been taking some nights off, too. You know, you look at a team like Memphis, they take their last game because they wanted the Spurs. Well, they, they clearly knew something. Yeah, and you know, I think a lot of people were really excited about the NBA playoffs this year because of what you said. It seems like the league is a little bit deeper this year, and it could be one of the more exciting playoffs in a while. And I think the best thing to do is let's just kind of look at each series real quickly. Yeah. Um, Memphis and San Antonio is interesting to me because 
I was surprised that the Spurs had as good of a season as they did. I, I don't think I was ready for the Spurs to win 61 games this year. I didn't realize that they had as much left in the tank as they do. Uh, Memphis surprised me when they won game one. Do you think that was just an aberration, or how do you forecast the series going forward? I don't. I, I think it's going to be a, a really tough series for the Spurs. I think it's going to go really deep. It reminds me a lot of Oklahoma City and the Lakers last season, another 1-8 series right. that, you know, that went down to the wire. If Memphis had Rudy Gay, I'd be tempted even to pick Memphis. Because they don't, um, I don't think they'll end up winning it, but I think they're going to make it really, really interesting, and I think, you know, I think they have a, a, a decent shot at it. Um, just because of what I said before, because of what they can do on the interior. They don't have the kind of stifling home court advantage also that Oklahoma City has. I mean, that's going to be – they could use that because Oklahoma City last year really rode that home They court brought it. Yeah, they brought it. The Lakers. They really brought it, and they blew them out a game, one game, um, which I think was key for them with momentum. So, you know, I feel like Memphis can challenge them. I don't really think they can, they can beat them in the end. Um, but, look, it's a, that's a bad matchup for the Spurs. There's no doubt about it. You have another team, and one thing you're seeing with the Bulls and the Spurs, these teams have kind of overachieved in the regular season, sort of susceptible to the upset. You know, I mean, and that's where it gets back to the difference between regular season and playoffs. In some ways, maybe we overrated a couple of these teams that dominated in the regular season because there's nowhere really left to go in the playoffs. You know, you mentioned crowds, and just as I'm sitting here thinking, I'm trying to think back to some of the bigger upsets in NBA first-round history, yeah. and I think of Golden State beating Dallas with an incredible crowd in, in uh, Northern California. I think of the Supersonics uh, winning. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, so maybe crowd could definitely play a big part in that. Um, the Lakers, uh, you know what struck me weird was Kobe Bryant sure did seem very cocky for a guy who had just lost game one. He, uh, he, in this press conference after the game, he kind of struck me as someone who was still kind of dismissing New Orleans. Uh, do you think the Lakers are in any danger here, or do you expect that game one to be a wake-up call for them? I mean, I'm not worried about Kobe being dismissive because I think, I think everything he does is sort of a message. And I felt like there was a lot in his post-game. I was there, and there was a lot in his post-game address that was sort of it was, an interesting, it was interesting motivationally because it was almost like he was challenging Pau Gasol but also propping him up, you know, knowing that Gasol is the key for the Lakers. That's serious. I mean, he had a terrible game one. He only scored eight points. Lamar Odom had only one rebound. And, I mean, for the Lakers, they, those guys are everything. I mean, they have such a decisive advantage on the front line. They really have it against everyone they face, but particularly New Orleans. When you throw Andrew Bynum into there, New Orleans just can't match up with them on the front line, which made it so improbable that New Orleans outscored them in the paint, really had their way with them in game one. And, and I, I think New Orleans will continue to give them problems because of Chris Paul, because of just everything he can do. And the Lakers are always vulnerable to a team with a quick point guard. The Lakers throw Derek Fisher out there. At this point in his career, just can't really defend any of those elite points in the league. Paul continue to get inside of them and collapse them. Um, but I do feel like those Laker bigs eventually will will wear down. And again, we talk about this home court, and you never know if home court is overblown or not. But both Memphis and New Orleans, they'll be good. They'll be good crowds. Don't get me wrong, and they'll be loud. But they won't be at that Oak City, Golden State level. Right. And to me, in the play, you kind of need that to pull off that that monumental upset. You, you, I feel like you do need that at home, and neither of them will have it. You're going to write about Lamar Odom, if I'm correct, this week in the magazine or, or very, very soon. And he's so interesting to me because he's a sixth man, but his name kind of comes off the tongue as if he's a superstar in the league. He's uh, married to a Kardashian. His re reality show is debuting 
and he's really having a fantastic year uh, playing ball. Um, what, what do you tell him? What do we can we look for when you uh, talk a little bit about Lamar Odom this week? You know, I actually I tweeted that story. I actually wrote a story about him two years ago. My, my story in this week. Oh, okay. About, I have a pretty long story about Bynum. Um, okay. He's very, he's a pretty interesting guy himself. I mean, their their team is sort of filled with unique personalities. Yeah, very interesting. But, but uh, you know, Odom is. Um, you know, Odom's just a guy who's had an incredible life. I mean, he's really one of the first guys who went through that real AAU grinder where he was sort of a celebrity when he was 13 years old in New York City and, you know, yeah, passed around teams. for various coaches and high school programs, went to UNLV, you know, got, he basically got in trouble a ton early in his career. Um, he's just had a, had a wild life. I mean, lost basically a lot of people close to him have died, including, a, you know, a baby boy who he had. So, I mean, just somebody who... Um, he's had a ton of personal tragedy and is probably one of the most irrepressible and kind of happy personalities in the league. I mean, you can't really be around the guy without just loving being in his presence. And there's some silliness that goes along with that, you know, his, his cologne or perfume or whatever right. and the reality show and kind of all the L.A. craziness that he, that he clearly embraces. Um, but he's also, as far as a basketball player, a great blend for the Lakers because he doesn't really care about how much he scores. I mean, he, he loves to pass the ball. He's always bashing himself, sort of a 6'10 Magic Johnson. And he's cool coming off the bench. I mean, he doesn't take everything so, so seriously. So when he's told to come off the bench, he's he's cool with it. And he's been a, you know, a great compliment for Kobe Bryant. And really, this has been his best season. And when you think about that he was in the world championships with the U.S. team, all the nonsense with the Kardashians and the reality show and all his other things, <laughs> To think that this would be his best year uh, is sort of improbable. But I know somebody close to him, and they said, you know, the busier Lamar is and the crazier his life is, the better he plays, um, which kind of, kind of is par for the course for him because it's never really what you expect. But look, when you have a guy like that, and the Lakers have some very inconsistent personalities with Odom, Artest, and even Gasol, and Bynum too, if you want to throw him in, you know, there's always this chance where they, they, that's why people never understand why are they inconsistent. Well, look at the people. I mean, the people themselves are fairly inconsistent. So they can be great or they can be very vulnerable. I don't want to get uh, too caught up here with the Lakers, but since you did mention Bynum, how is his knee and, and can, he, can he withstand a grind, the two-month grind that it is to win a championship? Can he hold up right now? Yeah, I, I mean, he can because of the rest. I mean, I think with him it's more... Uh, you know, that, that can happen at any time. It's just one of those things where the Lakers are constantly holding their breath. I think his knee is fine now, but it, his knee will never be 100%. It, it, as long as he is just capable of being out there, there are so few centers in the NBA right now who are, who are a threat at both ends. He's one of the very few. I mean, Dwight Howard, him, there might be a couple others, Andrew Bogut. Um, but, but really, he is... He's just so unique that if the Lakers can even have him on the floor uh, the way he's been the last couple months, that they'll be fine. I mean, when he was out there for the first 18 games of the second half after the All-Star break, they went 17-1. and He really asserted himself defensively and, and changed the complexion of, of who they were. So as long as he's kind of the way he was even in game one or right now and doesn't experience some huge setback, stepping on somebody's foot or hyperextension. Right. Um, to me, he's the key. He's the key to the whole playoffs for them. You know, I'm the, I'm one of the guys who falls on the side of I really like Mark Cuban. I know there's plenty of people who fall on the other side. They dislike Mark Cuban, but every playoffs, I think about him, and I know how much he kind of reminds me of Tagliosis in the NHL, where I know 
that he really, really cares about whether his team yeah. wins or loses. You know, Ted Leonsis, you see him in the in his press box wearing Capitals jerseys, and you see right. you, you always see um, Cuban wearing Dallas stuff, not suits, and I love that about him. Um, and his team won game one, and and I think they have a decent matchup against Portland. How, how do you see that series coming out, and, and how do you feel about Cuban and where his mindset is? No, I think you're right. It's what we all want you know, from uh, the owner of our favorite team is we want them to care as much as we care. And the fact is a lot of times we feel like they don't, like they're sort of these removed businessmen and who aren't, you know, they're writing checks from, you know, with, with their mind and not their heart. And we want them to write their checks from their heart. And Mark Cuban clearly does. Uh, and that's why people, players love him and fans love him. And he creates conversation. And to me, the NBA is a league of, of personalities. And so any personality uh, to me, sort of enhances the experience, enhances the narrative. Um, people like me get to write about, and you get to talk about, and everything else. So I, I, I think he's good for basketball. Uh, I think the other sports are sort of missing the boat um, and not having somebody like that because, you know, baseball could use it, frankly. Yeah, it's strange um, that baseball wouldn't want him to re-energize a market like Pittsburgh. You know, that's it. Yeah, I never or, understand or any, that. Or any market, you know. I'm, yeah. yeah, I mean, where, wherever you are. I mean, they, what, in L.A.? They, you know, I live in L.A. They have Frank McCord. I mean, he's like the biggest joke ever. I mean, they have, there are just so many um, owners who make headlines for the wrong reasons. I'd rather have an owner who makes headlines for both right and wrong reasons. He's going to stir it up. Um, but, yeah, it's part of it. It's like if Dallas plays the Lakers in the second round, it, it's going to feel almost like a to lead into an old boxing match. There's going to be so much trash talking, sniping, and I, I don't even know that more than half of it's even serious. I think a lot of it's just done for show. show. Yeah. Uh, but look, the show is, is part of it, and to me the show is kind of ignored in many ways by other, by other leagues. So yeah, I, I, I'm with you, and I think that, look, even this year, the move they made for Tyson Chandler, you know, it, it could really position them well. I, I'm one of those people who thought... I really like the Mavericks midway through the season, as always. And then I picked them to lose in the first round, like everybody else, to the Blazers. But the NCAA tournament shows us the team that's picked to lose by everybody is the team that always wins in right. the first round game. So, you know, yeah, if they, if they can outlast Portland, which I thought was is a brutal matchup. And we were talking about crowds earlier, and they're going to have one of those crowds up right. there. You know, I mean, everybody wanted to avoid the Blazers. If the Mavericks can get past them, that should be a huge confidence boost because all of a sudden you've got Spurs kind of looking weak. The, the Lakers look very, very shaky. Um, you know, I think I still think Oak City is a real threat, but the Mavericks would have home court against them. Maybe it is the year for the Mavericks. I, I, I thought that at one point, and then I went away from it, and now all of a sudden as we sit here, and, and I don't want to draw too many conclusions after one game, um, but it's possible. And Tyson Chandler, Mark Cuban made that commitment it's amazing. They extended Brendan Haywood, made him their starting center, and Tyson Chandler comes on the market like a week later in the summer, and he goes and gets Tyson Chandler. <laughs> That's a real owner. That's yep. an owner who wants to win, who's willing to suck up the money for both because he knows they haven't had a true center in Dallas since James Donaldson. That's how long Ooh. it's been. They've had a really, a really great athletic center like this. And look, Chandler has changed their identity. They're by no means a great defensive team but they're good enough to, to maybe get through. We could have had Carmelo Anthony versus Kevin Durant, but instead we're going to have a really int- we have a really interesting series where we have a team who's kind of built around stars, Durant and Westbrook, versus a team that we talked about at the top that is trying the team approach. So it's really interesting that Denver would draw Oklahoma City just because they have that polarizing star that Denver get, 
I don't want to say gave up on, but decided to trade. Where do you where do you see this series going, and what do you think about the juxtaposition between Oklahoma City with the Stars and Denver with the kind of team makeup like we talked about? No, you're right. Oklahoma City will have the two best players on the court probably at all times, and except they're sitting when they're sitting on the bench. They went Durant and Westbrook, and look, NBA history shows you that you should pick the teams with the stars, that those are the, are the guys who carry their teams in situations like this, and they're the ones who win. Um, and, and given all that, you know, I, I think Oklahoma City's great regardless. You know, I, now with Kendrick Perkins, they, they've shored up that front line. that was such a concern. Is this going to be their year? Is it going to be next year or the year after? I'm not, I'm not quite sure of that. Uh, but I, I feel like they're going to win this series with, with home court. I think they're two great teams, and, Selfishly, I wish they weren't matched up against each other because I think that they, you know, either one could go really deep. And, and Denver just represents something that is, I think, is very, very important for the NBA to show that you don't need necessarily those stars to win. Um, but in this case, if I'm picking, I'm picking the team with the two stars for sure, just because they are. That's the way it generally goes in the NBA. And, and Kevin Durant is one of those transcendent performers, and it feels like it's time for the Thunder to at least win one series, if not more. Can you remember a year where the Western Conference was as deep as this? I mean, you have to go all the way down to the eighth seed to get less than 10 games over 500. I mean, that's a really, really competitive conference. But look at last year, the Thunder won 50, and they were the eighth seed. Yeah. So it's, wow. it was, yeah. You know, it's, been, it's been like this for a while, and really it's a little... Because they lost, you know, Utah lost Boozer and then Williams to the East, and Denver obviously lost Anthony. I think it's taken a bit of a step back. I don't think it's as maybe powerful as it was. But yeah, just judging from the first weekend when New Orleans and Memphis can win a game, yeah. kind of thought where you know everybody's going to step on over, both win a game. Uh, it definitely makes it look tougher. And it, to me, one of the things about that is just when you have a seven seed like New Orleans that still has a guy like Chris Paul. I mean, I, I just can't, I can't get over it. I can't tell you how incredible it was to there and watch that. A guy had kind of been left for dead, like Derrick Rose and Westbrook and Rondo had all passed him by, you know, and then just kind of showing everybody that what he has left and what he's still capable of. I mean, it was, it was one of those performances I, won't, I probably won't ever forget. It was, it was so good. The East isn't quite as interesting as the West, but there's still some pretty cool stories, and let's kind of blow through these. I don't want to keep you much longer. Uh, it's Lee Jenkins from Sports Illustrated, SportsIllustrated.com. Very kind to join us here on the Sportscasters. We're kind of going through the NBA playoffs, uh, very interesting Western conferences. We should switch gears to the East. Chicago and Indiana, two very, very close games uh, to start the series. Chicago sweats them both out, but gets the victories. Do you think Indiana really needed to steal one there? We, want, we talk about crowds. Indiana's going to have a great one going to Indiana as the series shifts. Do you think they needed one of those to be able to pull off the upset, or do you, could you easily see it going back two to two as it seems so close so far? No, I I, I don't think they're going to pull off the upset. I think they needed one of those, needed one, especially yeah. without you know Darren Collison turned his ankle, and that's a really really tough loss for the Pacers in a kind of a cruel way. He stepped on a cameraman under the basket, um, but it, you know I, the thing to me the big question is does this show that that the Bulls are vulnerable, and this is the way the Bulls play. They they like to play close games, uh, win it at the end with Rose with their defense. This is just sort of their identity, and I think they're going to kind of give their fans heart failure for the next month or so because it's what they do. They they don't 
they don't have the firepower to go out there and beat teams by 20. They just win a lot of very, very top games over and over again. And it's, you know, the one thing I'd be worried about with them is that if you watch them a lot during the regular season, and I did, uh, they, they outwork everybody. They just work harder. But in the playoffs, everybody works really hard, and everybody plays hard. And so I think that, you know, the Bulls don't have this – there's not like this huge talent gap where they're just more talented than everybody else. They really rely on Rose to make shot after shot after shot after shot, and they're all so tough um, that I think the big question is, can he do that? You know, can he do what Allen Iverson did that year when he took the Sixers to the finals? Uh, you know, and that's a, that's a chore. I mean, that's a lot of – tough degree of difficulty shots he's got between now and June ahead of him. And I think the Pacers have definitely shown uh, that the Bulls can be had. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the Pacers have only won 37 games in the regular season. And I know, yeah, yeah so to, for them to be as competitive in those first two games, like you say, I think it does show a little vulnerable, vulnerability with the Bulls. Everyone loves to hate the heat. And I think around 4.30 on Saturday, everyone was giddy at the end of that first quarter <laughs> when Philadelphia was up. 31 to 19, but then in the second quarter, the Heat kind of got their feet under them and blew them out 35-18, ended up winning 97 to 89, and it's 2 to nothing in the series now. Is that kind of that first quarter, was that the, uh, was that the fight from the Sixers, and was it kind of deflected? And, it's a, it's yeah. a bad match of yes. the Sixers. They yeah. just don't even, you know, they, they, it, it, the, the Heat this year have just bludgeoned inferior opponents. I mean, bad teams just completely, you know, take them apart. So to me, it's, it, you can't really take away that much from this. I mean, there's, you know, th- th- there'll be a lot of confidence. They'll have a lot of confidence. And, you know, they're, t- to me, I, what I'm most impre- impressed with with the Heat, we all knew how athletic they would be, but it's just their defense and how good they are on defense and how they've really, you know, taken the Sixers out of what they do is, has been impressive. But really, the Heat is they're going to be judged by what they do against Boston or what, you know, what, what they do against the top opponent um, when they're really tested and we, and we get to see those questions about late-game situations and who gets the ball and how LeBron and Wade deal with each other or whether one defers to the other and it's like your turn, my turn. Those are the issues that we knew they'd have going into the season that they had at times during the regular season. And if they can work that out, they could still win the title. I mean, everybody would be, I think, so disappointed. <laughs> I mean, around I would the country. be in tears. But they, they really could. I mean, they, 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 if they get it together, they could win the title. And, and they're that good defensively. I, I would not be surprised. Um, but I don't really feel like they can be judged just yet. I, I, it's it's going to be really interesting to see what they do against Boston. And I, I mean, it's like at this point, it looks, it looks like it's going to be really tough to win four games from them. Whoever does it is going gonna, is gonna to have accomplished something. You mentioned Boston, and I think they're in the most exciting, for a lot of reasons, first-round series. Boston and New York, New York with Carmel Anthony. There's something cool about the Knicks and the Rangers being in the playoffs at the same time. It's the first time it's happened since 1997. And there's kind of this cool backdrop of the MSG renovation and uh, the teams kind of fighting it off. And, you know, they can't start it until they're both out, but they're both in. And then the Celtics... Well, they're the Celtics, you know, and they're one of the most interesting teams in the country. And what a great game one, huh? No, it was. It was a great game one. And I think, you know, I feel like the, the Knicks, it's like we were talking about with the Pacers. They, they had to get, we have to get one there. Yeah. And that was probably the one because now they don't have Chauncey Billups for game two, which is too bad. And, um, you know, they, they didn't close them out. They gave, they gave the, 
you know, the champs of OA life, and you can't give a team like that life. They they kind of had him right there and didn't finish him off. And you know, we t- we started out by talking about Carmelo Anthony, and you know, there there's a lot of questions. When I was in Denver about whether he's a true superstar, and the way he played in the second half it kind of opens him up to even more of those of those questions. He's one of eleven in the second half. He committed that crucial offensive foul. You know, didn't make a game winner when he had a shot at it. Uh, you know, the other Knicks did more than enough to win that game. If he if he carries his weight, they steal a game there, and they're you know, and they're really the talk of the country right now. And they they didn't. They let they let a proud old champion off the mat. And now the Celtics kind of, you know, it's, it's early to say this, but they have a little bit of that. I hate this term, swagger back. And yep. if if they kind of can recapture that, just because they lost Perkins doesn't mean they can't still be a great defensive team. I think that's sort of the message that the Celtics are is kind of being hammered home to them um, is that their identity didn't need to change just because of one trade. You know, yeah, they're not as big, they're not as physical, um, but they're still really tough. And those guys are tough and resilient. And, you know, if I had to pick a champion out of the Eastern Conference right now, I, I, I'd still pick them because I just, it, it's very hard to win four games against them too. The last series is Orlando and Atlanta. <laughs> it's funny, we talked about all these kind of interesting things and i can't think of much interesting to talk about orlando and atlanta that might just be the casual basketball fan in me but atlanta jumps out to a one to nothing series lead can they can they beat orlando and and howard and uh yeah, i know they no, do they, have the, they, the they two studs yeah beat them. i mean they're you know they're one of those teams that's kind of you know atlanta built a team and hasn't really messed with it they've let those guys kind of grow together and they're going to get better. Last year, they were humiliated by Orlando, and I mean, I think their pride took a big shot. And you know, while most people thought it would be the same story, that team has grown and stuck together. And Orlando, they they tore the thing apart, and that's fine. That's what they thought they had to do. Um, but the chemistry's out of whack in Orlando, and and it is Dwight Howard and everybody else. And so Atlanta let Dwight Howard get all of his. He scored forty. I don't know. He got number forty something points. Completely dominated, but nobody else could do much at all. And Atlanta, it was a great bit of game planning by Larry Drew, and they and they won the game. And so, yeah, they're in a they're in a good spot. And really, the way the the way the Bulls look, there's a chance. I mean, there's a chance that that team could scamper could scamper through to the Eastern Conference Finals. I know that series doesn't have um, it's missing you know, some something. This old name wise, yeah. the others do. But between Howard and then some of those like young, very athletic guys with Atlanta, it's actually a pretty it's actually pretty fun to watch if you can get past the fact that the teams maybe don't have, you know, those marquee that marquee draw that like the Celtics and the Knicks do. Um, it's still gonna be a fascinating series and I still think it's gonna go really, really deep. The sportscasters are here with Lee Jenkins, a senior writer from Sports Illustrated, one of the nicest guys you've ever talked to. We really appreciate his time. Okay. He is at SI underscore Lee Jenkins. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. Just a couple last questions. One thing is it's kind of always bothered me about the first round of the NBA playoffs is the pacing. You know, it's, oh, it know. seems it's so brutal. slow. Why? Try, try covering it. It's like you just never, and there's never rhythm. It's TV. They're, just, they're, they're trying to get as many games on TV as they possibly can. But, like, yeah, the Lakers played Sunday. They play again Wednesday. I thought game four of the Oak City that, that Denver series won't be till Monday. It just goes on and on and they're trying to string this thing out for all it's worth. Two months of playoff basketball, but you're right. It, it, the teams, I think the teams lose rhythm. I think the fans kind of lose some interest. And I, I'm with you. I I hate it. Yeah, it just seems like the you know TV 
all right, fine, but I mean, we'll, we're going to watch. Come on, just put the games on. Let's just get a little rhythm. Let's get a little flow. I mean, they know more than me about ratings, but I, I just think that the ratings would, would help if, if, you, if the series had a really good dynamic flow and pace to it and you had that every other day element to it. Right. And it, what they're trying to do is during the weekdays, just get the two games. So it's one, you know what I mean? They're trying right, to get one, you know, one night, national one. game early mm-hmm. and one national game late and then really load up on the weekends. You know what I mean? And, they, yeah. you know, and they're trying to cherry pick and make sure, like, the Lakers play at, you know, that 3.30 Eastern on, on Sundays. You know what I mean? They're those times that they feel like are in their sweet spot. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not a TV executive or ratings expert, so I, I don't know why it's done exactly that way. I just know that um, your frustration is shared by a lot of, by a great many people. All right. Last thing. Uh, a lot of people, last basketball thing. A lot of people have been saying this is going to be one of the more interesting playoffs in a long time. It's really deep in the West. Some interesting stories in the East. I, I got to put you on the spot. Who do you think in the end is the last two teams standing? What kind of final would you pick if you had to right now? Yeah, I had, they, had to, they made me do this for the website. I picked um, I picked Boston and Oklahoma City, um, which I know would be that'd be fun. A lot of people would be surprised about Oklahoma City, but I just you know it's going to happen at some point, and I just don't. I didn't really love any of the top three teams enough um, to get them through. I, I know the Lakers are the popular pick, but I just it just doesn't feel like it's there. It doesn't feel like it feels like something is wrong. Like. You know, they're just not as driven as they maybe were in past years. Um, so, yeah, I, I thought – and I thought it would be a great series to watch too. All right. Thank you very much. It's Lee Jenkins from Sports Illustrated. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. It's at SI underscore Lee Jenkins. He writes for the magazine. He writes for the Internet. Um, what can we look forward to? What are you working on right now? What stories are on got, the horizon? Yeah, I got I to gotta, – big one this week about Andrew Bynum with the Lakers, so um, I'd love if anybody checked it out. It's, uh, you know, he's a really interesting guy. He's the guy who actually builds his own computers and makes a remote control car that goes 100 miles an hour and, you know, is a big reader and just kind of a, um, a different kid with a really wide world view. And uh, I got to spend a lot of time with him. Uh, got to drive around in his Ferrari for an afternoon and go to lunch with him and things like that. So, you, you know, you don't always get that kind of access to people and when you do and you can sort of kind of see a little bit how they tick and their personality i think it sheds some light on you know how some of these guys are a little different than than maybe you think you know what i'm pumped up i'm only seven hours away from being able to read that you know with the ipad (laughs) i mentioned i mentioned this last time to you i know you said you didn't have an ipad i don't know if you got an ipad too but at literally at midnight between tuesday and wednesday midnight eastern you can buy sports illustrated on the ipad and I love it. I, I, <laughs> I'm a sucker. I pay the four ninety nine despite having the subscription because it, I just want to read. You know, I just want to read things like Lee Jenkins, who was just on my show today, uh, writing about uh, Andrew Bynum. But I definitely recommend to anyone who has the chance to get an iPad and get the Sports Illustrated app and get it at midnight. It's so fun. It's almost like a new... Hey, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's I like a new... That. I wish everybody had it. Yeah, it's like, it's like waiting in line for a new CD. Remember that a long time ago when we used to we used to go to the record store at midnight to to buy a CD or see a movie. It's real cool. But Lee Jenkins, thank you very much. I really appreciate all the time. You're great to us, and uh, it was really fun going through the NBA playoffs. And we'll definitely catch up to you soon. Cool. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much.
All right, the sportscaster is back, finishing up episode number 16. Thank you to Lee Jenkins. Another fantastic job getting us all set for the NBA playoffs, which are already about one game to two games in per series, but he set us straight on all that great basketball stuff. I also want to thank Sam from the Philadelphia Inquirer for joining us at the top. And uh, I also want to plug tomorrow we're going to be doing our Sabres post-game number four reaction podcast. And at the end of that, we're going to throw in an interview we did with Rob Pizzo uh, from Puck Daddy Radio, uh, just talking about all the other NHL series. And I thought that we'd kind of put that one on the Sabres reaction podcast uh, so we didn't talk a little bit too much hockey today because I know we have some new fans from the on the DL podcast. I want to thank you for stopping by. Hopefully we did a good job and, and you'll keep listening. Uh, also, I wanted to give a shout-out to Deuce McAllister. Tomorrow at 1 o'clock, I'm going to have the opportunity to interview Deuce McAllister, hopefully, and that should be ap- athlete spotlight number two, me and the Deuce. What do you think of that, Don? That sounds great. I'm very excited. I, I'm, I will say I'm a little, little nervous to talk to Deuce, but, you know, I think... Uh, yeah, you love Deuce. You love Deuce. I do. I love him. It should be great. All right. So, picks. Pick four. Last segment. We do it every week. Don is currently in the lead with a 32-29 and 29 record. I am in second place with a 31-30 and 30 record. I was 1-3 last week, winning the Red Wings over the Coyotes 4-3, losing the Reds as they lost to the damn Pirates 6-1. I lost the game of the week, the Canadians over the Bruins 2-0. I had the Bruins. And I, my bold prediction is that the Kings would go home with a 2-0 lead. Instead, they went home 1-1, to just a few chances in overtime away from making that true. Don went 2-2. Two and two. they dominated game two. Yeah, they dominated game two. Uh, Don went 2-2. Two and two. He won the Capitals over the Rangers 2-1 to in overtime, and the Sabres over the Flyers won nothing. He lost the game of the week with me. Canadians won that one 2 to nothing. We both had the Bruins, and Thomas Vanek does not lead the no. playoffs in points. So the game of the week this week is the Flyers at the Sabres, game four in the HSBC Arena. It's Wednesday at 7 o'clock. There's going to be 18,690 inside, over 10,000 people outside, and I am going to go with the Sabres. Yeah, I'm going to also take the Sabres. They've done something they haven't done in a while. That's lose two straight. So I can't see them falling back uh, three games in a row, and they're going to be the more desperate team, or at least they better. All they got to do is stay out of the box, maybe score a goal now and again, and uh, they should win that and take it back to Philly. Okay, my worldwide leader pick. I have the Capitals over the Rangers game four Wednesday at 7 o'clock on versus. I think the Capitals have easily been the best team in this series. I think the Rangers won the game that they're going to win game three at home. I think the Capitals should take care of this in five games, but I will pick the Capitals to beat the Rangers in game four on versus tomorrow. Yeah, I actually uh, picked the same game too, and I feel the same way. Sometimes it's, uh, it's, it's hard to sweep a team. It's hard to win four out of four, and uh, like you said, the Rangers got theirs, and they're they're just overmatched. They're, they're, they kind of lucked their way. Not lucked, but they had to have another team lose to get into the playoffs, and they might have uh, happy to be there at it too, but they're, they're, they just don't have the talent. Okay, my host, host choice pick is the Anaheim Ducks over the Predators in Game 4. Wednesday at 8.30. I think that this is the closest series there is out there. Both teams 
came in at 99 points each. I, I think the Predators will win in Game 7 because I think their goaltending is better, but I think the Ducks will even it up, get the split in Nashville. So I'll pick the Ducks over the Predators. My uh, host choice is the Red Wings at the Coyotes tomorrow night. That's Wednesday. And I'm actually going to take the Coyotes. They've been they've been... They've fought back in a couple games, and uh, they've gotten down early. But like I said, it's hard to sweep a team, and I think if Phoenix is going to get the win, they'll get maybe the win in what could be their last home game, right? I mean, yeah, easily. There's rumors there that. So I think I think they'll come out, put on one more good effort, and then they'll probably lose in five. But I'll give them the one, and I'll give them game four. All right, my bold prediction: as we talk right now, the Kings and Sharks are even at one. I thought that the Kings would go ahead two to nothing. They just missed. And I think my bold prediction for this week is the Kings are going to eliminate the Sharks. And they will do so before episode number 17 of the Sportscasters next Tuesday. By my my uh, bold prediction here, and we were talking uh, before I get into it, you mentioned our records and how uh, unimpressive they are, especially considering we pick all of our own games. I think we need like a third category, like they have like the overtime losses. I think our bold predictions should fall into that category to make our records look a little bit better. But uh, I'm going to say, and this is just kind of like a prop bet, but I'm going to say there will be no Game 7s this playoff. Well, not the playoffs. First round, you in mean. In round one. Gotcha. Yep. Interesting. No Game 7s. Yeah, because that basically means the Sabres are going to have <laughs> to win three in a row for that not to happen, so I hope it does. But, yeah, I'm going to go with no game sevens. It's about as bold as I can get. All right. Well, that about wraps it up for this week of the Sportscasters. I want to once again thank Lee Jenkins. This is the second time on the Sportscasters. He's got to be one of the nicest guys out there in the media. Thank you very much to Lee. I also want to thank Sam from the Philadelphia Inquirer who came on and talked a bit about the Sabres and the Flyers. And I also want to thank Rob Pizzo, who is going to appear tomorrow night on our Sabres versus Flyers reaction podcast. Make sure you check for those on our website, www.sportsdeskcasters.com. They are posted after every Sabres playoff game. That's www.sports-casters.com. You can also find us on Twitter. Don finally changed his name. He is at DonLikesSports. Two S's there, at DonLikesSports. I am at Diversity23, and the show is at Sports underscore Casters. You can also find us on Facebook, www.facebook.com slash thesportscasters, and you can find our blog at thesportscasters.blogspot.com. I think that is it for this week. I am going to cue the hip. All right. Them blue on the street.